Hey everyone, we are recording this episode in the middle of a global pandemic, which is a sentence I never really thought I would have to say. Like many of you, we've spent the last month and a half working from home, not spending too much time outdoors, and trying to stay connected as well. We actually had our entire season three planned out ahead of time, but some things you can't entirely plan for, and we decided to pivot and focus a little bit on content that is more relevant to the current situation. Um, we wanted to try and give back in whichever way we could and potentially provide you with some helpful tips in terms of how to weather the storm from an IO psychology perspective. So although we're a podcast about work, it's not all about maximizing productivity. It's also important to take care of yourself. And IO psychology is all about finding that balance between what's good for the organization and what's good for the employee. With that in mind, today we're going to cover some broad principles that the research suggests are important for well-being and productivity. And we think these are especially relevant now, and we hope you find helpful ways to apply them in your own situation. I'm Nicholas Bremner. I'm Jose Espinoza. And you're listening to Mind Your Work. A podcast about social science and work, and what happens when you put these things together. Today, we're going to be talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic has shaped the way we work. This is an unprecedented situation that has changed so many things about the way we work, the way we collaborate, and the way our work and home lives are interfacing with each other, and in many ways, colliding in unwanted and anticipated ways. What we're going to be talking about today are our general principles that can help guide the actions you take as a manager, employee, or HR practitioner to act in a way that fits your unique situation. We'll be framing this as a human-centered problem and using a popular theory of psychology called self-determination theory, which we'll describe in a little bit, to talk about how our work and lives have changed. We'll be breaking this down both in terms of threats, but then also opportunities that the situation has created for many individuals, and there, there are definitely some silver linings. There are a lot of things that organizations are doing on a tactical level to respond to this crisis. We're not going to cover that specifically, although there are a lot of excellent resources that we will link to in the show notes. We will provide some examples, but the main focus will be on giving you some, some high-level ways of thinking about how work has changed. Yeah, and if you're looking for something a little bit more tactical, as to what you can do from a practical perspective. We do have an episode called Office 2.0 that focuses on a lot of the things that you could apply right now. We talk about virtual teams and remote work and the kinds of things you should be looking at to make that really effective and and a good way to work from home if you need to. A lot of what we cover in that episode does apply to the current situation and vice versa. A lot of what we're going to be talking about today is going to be applicable long after this pandemic subsides. So we're going to be talking about this from the perspective of self-determination theory, but we think a good way to get everyone thinking about this is to go to another theory that most people are familiar with, and that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if you've taken a Psych 101 class or have simply probably just been on the internet, you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Basically says that we have certain base physiological needs that are important to fulfill first before fulfilling higher order psychological needs. And with 
self-actualization at the top when you're fulfilling your higher purpose or highest purpose. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is one of those psychological theories that doesn't have a ton of scientific backing and has been criticized, but it is an example of an immensely successful psychological theory that's broken into pop culture. Uh, there's actually a meme that was circulating a while ago. This is, this is years ago, but someone appended Wi-Fi to the very bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. <laughs> but self-determination theory is a related theory in the sense that it also focuses on core psychological needs, but it has a lot more backing in the scientific community with hundreds of peer-reviewed journal articles based on it. Now, self-determination theory has quite a few components to it, but the one that we're going to be focusing on today is much like Maslow's hierarchy, are on the psychological needs. And the nice thing about self-determination theory is that it basically has three basic psychological needs that it argues everyone has. They're innate to you. You're born with them and they're important to you throughout your entire life. And those are needs for autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Now, when you're talking about people's need for autonomy, when people feel that they're satisfied in that need, they feel like they have ownership over their life and their experience. Now, this doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want. It just means that the things that you do engage in, the behaviors that you do engage in are things that you endorse. You feel like they come from something that you either think is valuable or something that you decided to do for yourself. So to test my understanding of autonomy, because I find this is kind of a tricky one, it's not necessarily having full control over absolutely everything, but it's, but it's more of a feeling of having a sense of choice or agency or... Yeah. The key word for autonomy is endorsement. When you have a feeling of autonomy, it doesn't necessarily mean that whatever you're doing, like working, for example, is something that you want to do or that you chose to do. You might have to do it. It might be necessary. But when you feel autonomy, you feel like this is a behavior that you endorse. You feel like it's valuable in some way. That there's a reason for you to be doing this in comparison to not having a sense of autonomy where you feel like you have no other choice. You have been forced to do this and you don't want to do this thing. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So when it comes to competence, people who have their need for competence satisfied feel like they're effective in how they interact with their environment and with other people. And competence is this additional component where you want to feel like you're developing and expressing your abilities. Think of it in terms of mastery. You want to be able to master your environment in the sense that you want to be able to be effective and, and when you engage in behaviors that they actually make a difference. This sounds like it's really closely tied to the concept of self-efficacy as well. Having a sense of like situational confidence that you can actually do something. Yes, definitely. And, and it kind of extends throughout all the parts of your life, right? So you want to feel like you're competent in everything that you do. It's a desire we have. It's similarly the reason why we like to play sports, right? Sometimes you play sports not because you want to go pro, but because there's a certain enjoyment in becoming better and in, in, you know, in improving your golf swing. That's the typical example that people give. Interesting. That's a great example. And the last kind of core psychological need in self-determination theory is relatedness. And this is, again, a desire that people have to maintain and to form really meaningful relationships with people. It doesn't mean that they have to be many relationships. It just means that you need to have kind of a minimum quality of relationships around you, people that you care about and the people that care about you. And in terms of how work interacts with relatedness, it seems like we can fulfill our need for relatedness either through work interactions or interactions in our personal life or a combination of both, right? Yeah. And, and one of the interesting things about self-determination theory is that it actually localizes very well. 
we can look at people's needs being satisfied at work specifically and at home specifically and in their basically in their sports team specifically and all those things can contribute to a sense overall of whether you feel like your need for relatedness is satisfied or your need for competence but actually we can measure it in each specific context so relatedness at work turns out to be really important for people not only do we spend a lot of time at work but it's important for us to feel like we're connected to others there this is a, this is a really powerful theory, and I, I think it's important before we move on to talk about why these needs are are particularly important, aside from what they mean at face value, um, but what they also lead to, right? So let's briefly touch on the motivational component of self determination theory. And so the ideal outcome when you have all of these three needs satisfied in your life or at work is that there's consistent evidence in the research that suggests that people feel much more intrinsically motivated to do things. And all that means is that instead of feeling like you're controlled as to why you do something, that it's basically being imposed on you and you have no other option, people who are intrinsically motivated want to do these behaviors and they enjoy engaging in these behaviors. And that particular kind of motivation, intrinsic forms of motivation, are strongly related to things like performance and people's well-being. People are more satisfied at work. People are happier in general. So what we're going to be talking about today is exactly how this changing situation with the pandemic has affected our ability to fulfill these needs. Some of us are working remotely 100% of the time, sheltering in place, where others are still going to work to fulfill an essential need for society where they have to physically be at their work environment. And there are others who have unfortunately been put out of work due to the situation because many companies and many industries as a whole are struggling due to all these changes. So through the lens of self-determination theory and these human-centered needs, we're going to be talking about how COVID has affected the way we work and talk about how these needs are either frustrated by the current situation or actually fulfilled in unique or different ways. So first, we're going to focus a little bit on work and particularly how might the needs be threatened in the workplace due to how things have changed. And first, we're going to start with autonomy in particular. And I think that the main thing that's happening here is that it sounds pretty good that most people who are able to continue working actually have quite a bit of autonomy now if they're working from home or working remotely. But one of the threats to satisfaction for autonomy is it's feeling like you actually have ownership and that you want to do this. And that's something that we might be forgetting. People are going to be forced to work remotely, even though they might not want to, and they might not be doing so under the best circumstances. I think that's a really good point. And one thing that's very different in this circumstance as compared to a business as usual scenario where someone is able to work remotely is that we're all being forced to work remote five days, sometimes six days or seven days a week, depending on how busy you are. And many of us are saying how the days can blend together entirely. In one of our previous episodes on flexible work arrangements, we talked about how about two to three days per week working remotely is kind of the sweet spot for getting your deep work done, your head's down time, and then coming back into the office for social interaction. So really, we don't have control in the situation. We're, we're stuck working five days a week from home. We have to find new ways to socially interact with others. And so overall, we kind of have less of a sense of control. And that 
also creeps into the kind of environment we're working in as well. We may not be totally equipped to work in the way we want to from home. Now, of course, there's a certain amount of this situation that's out of the organization's control. If business as usual has to continue to remote work, we're not saying that basically you should just lay off your employees and because they might not be having a good time in terms of their autonomy. But one thing that is under your control is making sure that you're not providing too much oversight. Particular managers who are not used to leading people through a remote work environment or a virtual team might find that they need to really focus on kind of micromanaging people, making sure that people are doing their tasks and that everybody's at their desk as long as they're supposed to be and and fulfilling their hours and that kind of thing. When you add that to the stress that people are under from the sense that now they're being forced to work from home and they're forced into this new situation that probably isn't that comfortable, you're going to add quite a bit of conflict and you're going to be reducing their autonomy further. Many managers also may have a difficult time with the transition from working with their colleagues in person to working to a fully remote or distributed team where they don't have physical oversight over their teams and they can kind of walk around and and command and control and get a general sense of the ambience of the work environment. Generally, these managers have to adapt and find new ways of communicating, new ways of checking in, or simply just trusting that these employees are going to be doing the good work that they're expected to do, even though they can't be physically observed. So if you are going to try and make sure you're doing autonomy right in this situation, the main thing you want to do is provide support. Ask when people want more autonomy. Do they feel like they can be more independent? Do they have ways of making sure that they're working the way that they want to, that they have the resources they need? But also be sure to say it's okay. Hey, do you want more guidance? Do you want more control? Do you need more structure? Go out of your way to try and provide that. And that should hopefully help provide some support for people's autonomy need. Feelings of autonomy for employees who still have to show up for work and perform an essential service in person are likely to be very, very different. And I think we'd be remiss if we we overlooked these people who are doing, I would argue, some of the, the harder and more dangerous work because they still have to go out in society and you know, face a lot of uncertainty. We can't pretend to have the solution for all of this, but it's definitely a challenge these employees are facing. Some employers with physical storefronts like Patagonia or Nike are actually closing their stores and paying their employees, even though they're not actually doing work right now. Whereas other companies like Apple are not closing their storefronts, but they're offering unlimited paid sick leave for employees to offer some sense of reassurance. Whatever solution the organization comes up with to support their employees, there's no question that employees who have to go out and commute to work, take public transit, which is much more dangerous right now than it would be in previous times, autonomy is a challenge for them. And it's a need that is definitely going to be thwarted in this case. And again, I think the important thing is to listen to your employees and try to find even small ways to provide them with a sense of control and a sense that they are making choices on their own and a sense that they endorse what they're doing. It's really important that you, that you look for and ask them about what they need. When speaking about competence, most of us who have done a job for a couple of years or more have gotten pretty good at the day-to-day work that we're doing. We've adapted, we've onboarded, done a lot of learning earlier on, and we may feel pretty comfortable with where we are right now. The current situation has forced us to change the way we're working. Some of us going home to work remote, some of us working in completely different or hectic environments. And this poses challenges to our sense of competence. We may be having to work with new technology we haven't before if you're typically working in person and all of a sudden working remote, 
or you might be working in a more hectic or uncertain environment with customers being stressed out or angry. And you may have to practice new interpersonal techniques that you may not have had to before. Others may find themselves doing completely new types of work or taking on new responsibilities. For example, larger organizations that have multiple arms of business may end up shifting their resources and putting more weight behind the arms of the business that are more successful during this time. And in particular, when it comes to competence, a really good way to try and, and address this, because obviously most organizations and most employees weren't ready for these new challenges, there was very little time to prepare, is to set expectations the right way. It's important to communicate that because we're working in a new setting or because you're working in a new role and you have new responsibilities, there shouldn't be an expectation that you're automatically going to be just as productive as you were in your previous role or when you were working in the office rather than remotely. Making sure you work with employees if you're a manager and making sure as an employee you communicate that you're struggling with certain parts of, of your role or certain parts of the new way that you're doing your job is important because it's a good opportunity to foster growth and foster a way for you to get up to speed with the things that you need to do now. The third need, relatedness, is probably the one that we can all readily think about when it comes to it being affected at work. Of course, most of us who go to work see other people at work. We have lots of social interactions and lots of face-to-face -face interactions with other people that are really important for us to feel connected and to feel like we have something valuable in terms of the way that we talk to others during our day. This is a really big challenge, both in terms of whether or not you're working remotely and those meetings at the water cooler and talking about what you saw on TV over the weekend or what you did with your kids are not going to be there. But it's also really important for people who now feel isolated because they may not be attending work at all. When it comes to relatedness, individuals who have lost their jobs or have been temporarily furloughed are probably at the highest risk for having this need frustrated because without the social interaction that comes through work, which many of us can still maintain largely due to technology, people are left feeling very socially isolated, especially those who live alone and may not have families to support them. You can't go out and see friends. You can't go out and, and see the people you normally see, right? So this is something that is, is particularly important um, and, and to watch out for, for individuals who, who have lost their jobs. In line with that, even for people who are still working, we have to remember that work-only interactions on things like Slack, on things like Zoom and video calls and that sort of stuff is not necessarily going to be fulfilling people's need for relatedness. There are lots of interactions we have at work that have nothing to do with work in some ways. And they are really important for people's well-being and for things like establishing trust and rapport and good cooperation among team members. So if it's possible at all, you should make sure you maintain some level of water cooler talk either through a Slack channel and if possible through a weekly meeting where you have people just join a call for 30 minutes and, and catch up and talk about silly things that maybe have nothing to do with work. So there are all of these threats to people's basic psychological needs at work, but there are also opportunities that maybe are not so readily apparent. And even though we talked about some of that when we just covered the threats, we're mostly talking about ways to overcome the threats rather than new things that are really available to you when we're talking about what's happening in the work today because of the pandemic. When we talk about opportunities, I think that there is one 
idea or concept that runs through all of them. And that's when you have a fundamental unprecedented change, like the one we're experiencing now, it is an opportunity to re-examine the way we work and the way we interact and re-examine what we are doing, if it's serving us, if it's actually helpful, or if we can adapt it and improve it and find an even better way of working. When talking about autonomy, and we alluded to this in our previous episode from season two on Office 2.0, working from home, working remotely presents a great deal of autonomy for employees, provided that they're given the trust to do their best work. This is really um, an opportunity for employees to have much more flexible work schedules and often by necessity having to balance their, their work with their home life and work different hours, not necessarily nine to five, but potentially noon to eight or noon to nine or whatever really works for you. For employees who are working in person, this is a potential opportunity for employees to demonstrate initiative in ways they haven't before. There's a concept called job crafting where employees actually proactively take on new responsibilities or reframe the way in which they do their work. One example of someone demonstrating job crafting that I saw recently was when I went to go get groceries and there was a lot of chaos at the grocery store. They were limiting the number of people coming in and out. And one of the employees actually took on the role of crowd control and reassuring people and calming them down. And this is not necessarily a role that someone would have to do typically in a grocery store environment. Um, but this person was exceptional at it and they were, they were reassuring people and they, the kind of aggression associated with, you know, having to wait in line and having to be close to people who might be sick. This person helped subside that. And I mean, from, from one perspective, it's extremely stressful, but from another perspective, this employee is actually like helping keep the calm and, and doing very important and purposeful work. And closely related to that, it's a great opportunity for people to satisfy their need for competence. It's a great chance to take on these new roles, take on new responsibilities that you're interested in, that you choose to take on with your initiative and develop new skills because of it. Expand what you know, expand what you can do in a way that can be really beneficial to employees. And again, as an organization, what you're looking for to do here is to make sure that happens is to provide lots of support, lots of opportunities to get additional training if you can do it, and lots of opportunities for people to try things without feeling like they're not doing their real work because they're doing this instead or because they're implementing this into their everyday routine. So in terms of people's need for relatedness, this might be a great opportunity to help employees who are usually working remotely or who are not necessarily in office all the time to feel more included. When everyone is working in a distributed sense, it's much easier for you to try and establish lines of communication and a sense of a team that's kind of all working together. Specifically, when you have distributed teams, oftentimes some team members are remote and some team members are clustered in an office together. For example, our team, we have one person in Europe, one person working out of India, and the rest of the team working out of the United States, specifically in San Francisco. In this kind of situation, it creates almost like an in-group, out-group situation where you have one group who, who gets the benefit of working in person and all that informal interaction in the office environment. Whereas the other individuals who are working remotely do get the chance to associate with their colleagues in the office, but not necessarily with the rest of the team. Now that everyone has moved to a remote working situation, Everyone is sort of on the same page. Everyone is interacting through Zoom or through Microsoft Teams. 
and it kind of levels the playing field in terms of relatedness. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to leverage this shared experience now that we're all on the same platforms, we're all interacting the same way, to really start reinforcing bonds between these members who were, like you said, kind of asymmetrical to the team situation before, who are now kind of in exactly the same setup as everybody else. So it's a really great chance for for managers to reinforce that. And so even if things return back to normal after the situation is over, you still have the leftover strength of those bonds that you formed during this experience. One thing we should mention before we cap this opportunity section off is to talk about the purpose of work. And this is something somewhat related to self-determination theory. uh, And depending on your conceptualization of purpose or meaning, either stems from it or is also a different kind of need. But the purpose of work is undoubtedly shifting in the situation. And this is an opportunity for managers to reframe the purpose of work and and why employees are doing their work. Many occupations that are essential to keep the economy running can take on a new sense of meaning or purpose. And these are inherently meaningful occupations already, but this kind of crisis can actually highlight or bring out the sense of meaningfulness in these jobs. So something like transporting goods from one location to another. Um, A trucker may have a new sense of purpose because they're helping deliver medical supplies, they're helping deliver food to a community that needs it. Packing food in a factory can take on a new sense of meaning or significance in the sense that they feel like they're feeding the country and helping get food to the mouths of people who need it as well. Something that we also don't want to forget is that the reverse of this can happen. You can also feel like someone who is not part of an occupation whose meaning or, or purpose has kind of been highlighted by the situation. You can feel like what you do maybe doesn't matter. It doesn't make a big difference in the grand scheme of things. I know this is something that I struggle with as someone who works in research and not particularly in any kind of research that is going to be helpful during this situation. It can kind of feel like what I'm doing doesn't really matter. There's no real reason for me to continue doing what I'm doing. And that can have a really strong impact on people's motivation to show up for work, but on their well-being in general. So be conscious of that. Try to find ways or ask your employees, what are the kinds of things about your work that have been helpful? Sometimes just the fact that you're working and that you're contributing to something, to a project, can be enough to kind of reshift your purpose and make you think about what exactly it is that's worthwhile about what I'm doing. Perhaps thinking in the long term rather than the short term might be a good way to help people think about the purpose of their work. Sure, right now, it feels like what you're doing maybe doesn't make a huge difference. But remember that you were doing your work before the situation and the situation is likely to pass. What you do is making a contribution. And I think it's important for us uh, in organizations and as employees and as managers to remember that and try to support that. The fact that there was a reason why we were doing the work we were doing before, even though it doesn't seem like it's the most important thing in the world right now, take a long-term view and think about how it's going to, again, be something that is going to be valuable and vital. Another area of biopsychology research that is very common is work-life balance or work-family interference. There's a whole bunch of different terms for it. But in general, this global pandemic has forced individuals' work lives and home lives to collide in a way that was unexpected, in some cases unwanted, and poses new challenges for employees and managers. Of course, the nature of this collision depends dramatically on what your situation is. Some of us live alone or live with roommates. Some of us live with our significant other where we're both working at the same time. Others live with their families and have young children to take care of. And others are taking care of their elders. 
Now, of course, being able to spend more quality time with people that we care about who happen to be in the same place that we are is one way that this is important. But it could also be a great opportunity for people to connect with others that they haven't reconnected with in a long time. Something that's become really common amongst the people that I know is that getting in touch with friends or family who you maybe haven't talked to in quite a bit because of our everyday lives and how busy they can get is becoming a much more common thing as we all seek ways to connect with each other. Really, when it comes to home life and our need for relatedness, an individual's experience with this need is going to vary dramatically based on the situation. Those, those of us who live alone and can't see our friends or family are going to experience social isolation in new ways. And this is going to be exacerbated, especially if an individual has been furloughed or has lost their job. On the other hand, those of us who live with our families and are stuck at home with young children who have been sent home from school and now have the responsibility of, of homeschooling them or taking care of them are faced with a work-family conflict and kind of an overwhelming sense of responsibility that was thrust upon them. So while they may not suffer from a lack of relatedness because they have lots of social interaction, they may actually suffer more from a sense of reduced competence because they don't actually have enough resources to keep up with the responsibilities of being a caretaker and the responsibilities of holding a full-time job. And again, here's something that we're a big proponent of in the podcast, kind of comes up as a great opportunity, something to implement. And flexible work arrangements, as we discussed earlier, is a great way to help people overcome those kinds of challenges, allowing caregivers to take the time that they need to fulfill those responsibilities and in work when it's most convenient for them or actually most likely they can get any work done in some situations is really important. Yeah, there are lots of things that employers can do to add more flexibility to employees' days. Not forcing employees to go to meetings, reconsidering which meetings are optional and which ones are compulsory is a really, really important thing to re-examine. Um, sometimes if employees can't make a meeting, recording that meeting and then sending them the notes or scheduling a five-minute call to summarize with them afterwards can be very helpful. In general, Employers need to focus on being protective of their employees' time so they can actually have the resources to be a good caretaker and be a good worker. We don't necessarily have to spend as much time interacting or meeting as we did in the past. In a broad sense, though, because everyone's situation is different, the best way to come up with a solution for employees is simply to ask them. Oftentimes when employees are faced with new challenges, nobody knows the solution to that better than the employee themselves. And I think that's all we want to say for today on this topic. It's, of course, really complex, but we hope what we've done here is give you a few broad principles in terms of people's basic psychological needs for autonomy, competence, and relatedness, and what we should be doing to help people protect their well-being, improve their well-being, and actually find ways and new opportunities to improve themselves and the situations that they're in. Now, usually this is the part where we say this is not homework and then proceed to give you some sort of task to do that hopefully ties everything we've talked about to get together. But it seemed like not a great idea to do that. Yeah, I think most of us right now are just struggling to maintain a sense of routine or a sense of purpose. And 
or trying to get by economically in this time. So we thought we'd just talk a little bit about some of the stuff that we're doing to cope and stay sane. And maybe some of the listeners will find it helpful. Definitely. So like I've mentioned before, for me, this doesn't necessarily change the way that I work. I work in an office environment most of the time. I do research, so it tends to be pretty solitary work in some ways. So it's just meant that rather than only doing a couple of days in the office, now I'm just doing all of my work from home. This has had some surprising effects, like something that we've mentioned before in the podcast where we know that it seems to be a sweet spot to be about two or three days from remote work. Going to complete remote work has actually made a pretty big difference for me. And I was wondering, what's your experience of that been like? My experience overall has been really challenging, I would say. I think a lot of people are feeling this. The days are blending together. The the lines are blurred between home life and work life um, or home time and work time. And mm-hmm. what I've been trying to do is build some structure into my day. Some like you know best practices with working from home are to create a sense of psychological distance from where you spend your personal time and where you spend your work time. And so... I'm fortunate enough to have enough space to actually designate a room to where I do my work. And so when I sit down at the desk, I'm you know mentally in work mode. And then when I'm in the living room or in the bedroom, I'm more in kind of relaxation mode. So my commute is to the office, which is you know 10, 20 feet away, but it still is a commute and it still gets my brain in that work mode. Um, another thing is just really trying to maintain a sense of routine for like whatever works for you. So one silver lining is that there's no more commute time. My commute would normally take about an hour and a half to two hours of my day, but I would use that time instead to get organized. I'd still make sure that I get dressed in like clothing that I would still go out in, not wear PJs all the time because it creates a sense of, um, of readiness for work as well. And really just trying to make sure that I, I do work in somewhat of a structured way. I do my better work at night oftentimes, but trying to keep a cadence and a structure that is consistent overall, whether it's in the morning or whether it's in the evening, just not letting, making sure that you you schedule in your relaxation time as well. I think it's really, really important. Definitely. I think there are quite a few of those things that I'm doing myself as well. If I were to kind of focus on one thing in particular that's been really working for me is most of the stuff that I work on tends to have a really long tail. I'm working for months and months and months and months on a, on a thing that looks like it might never be finished. So one thing that has been really helpful to kind of keep myself motivated is to every day start my day with a a real guided and structured to-do list. These are the things I want to accomplish. And being comfortable that the reality is that sometimes I accomplish all of those things ahead of time, or sometimes I don't accomplish everything, but then setting myself a kind of, hey, I'm going to stop working now. Uh, This is my day. I've completed my day. I've kind of put in my hours, so to speak. And if something needs to be rolled over to the next day, that's okay. Um, trying to be conscious that I'm trying to maximize the amount of time that I'm putting into work so it doesn't bleed into everything else in my life has been really helpful when it comes to making a list of things to tackle today. So on an unrelated note to work, what have you been doing or what are you planning to do that you feel is going to be good for you, for your well-being, for your enjoyment, for something that's not just, here's how I'm going to be more productive? Two things that I think are are really important for my well-being and also just to, I mean, this is this is for well-being and for productivity, but meditation and exercising are two kind of pillars that are really, really critical to maintain, especially during this time. Um, I think that when you're staying home and everything is blurring together, 
being mindful and making sure you're deliberate about how you're spending your time is really, really important. And meditation helps with that. It can also help with any stress or anxiety that I have about the situation as well. The exercise is really just to combat the lack of movement that I have day to day because I'm not walking to the bus stop anymore. I'm not moving around. So maintaining that exercise is absolutely critical and just doing bodyweight exercises and, you know, push-ups, squats, things like that. I'm not super concerned about lifting heavy weights. It's more about like getting my heart rate up. And I think that's just sufficient. And so I'm not thriving during this kind of situation, but I'm trying to adapt and cope as best I can. And I think that's really all we could hope for. Something that I think has been really helpful, and I'm sure you'll see on your social media is people are picking up lots of hobbies. And what I found that has been really helpful is to, again, kind of fostering that need for competence and satisfying that need has been to return to some hobbies that I had set aside thinking that I was too busy for them because it's really easy to kind of put those things away and focus on other things has been to return to those things and get it and try to focus deliberately on that focus on something that is really within your control improving at something accomplishing a little project something that's a little hobby has been really helpful in making sure I feel like I'm not just stuck inside my house all day I'm trying to carve out some time to work on the little things that maybe don't matter, but have been really helpfully making me feel like I'm mastering something, I'm accomplishing something. I think that's a really good idea. And especially focusing on stuff that doesn't involve a computer, because normally I would, you know, play a game or something and sitting in the same position as I was before, it's just really not healthy. So anything that gets you away from the computer or away from the television or a screen, I think is probably a good idea. I know a lot of people have been doing puzzles have been playing board games with people. Um, I think these are really good ideas. One thing that we would love for you to do is to reach out to us if there are things that you're doing to kind of improve your well-being that are not work-related during this time. You can always send us an email at mindyourworkpodcast at gmail.com or send us a tweet at mindyourworkio. To find show notes from this episode and links to the resources about how employees are responding to the COVID crisis uh, or listen to more episodes like the Office 2.0 episode on virtual work, you can visit our website at mindyourwork.io. Finally, we had some help this time around in preparing for this episode of background research from Hannah Soicher. So we wanted to give a big thanks to Hannah for helping out this time around. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. I'm good when you are. I believe in our total capability to do this episode in a way that doesn't require me to do it a ton of editing. I believe in us. We can do this, Nick. We can do this. What are the top three things I should avoid doing to minimize your editing? Ums are the major thing. That's the thing I edit out the most. That's really hard. I think that if you were to envision like a graph with listening enjoyment as the y-axis and number of ums as the x-axis... It'd be a curvilinear relationship. <laughs>